During my time working as an advisor and as a department chair, I never met a parent, not one. And I probably interacted with 10,000 students over the course of time there. Never a parent, always a student. The difference here is that the homeschool parent is the administrator of the school. The homeschool parent is the one kind of driving the process. And so what you have is you have this interesting scenario where you have a parent who's got logical, you know, resourceful, you know, thinking skills, and they are the ones making some of these decisions. And they're saying, wait a minute, you know, we're not, we're not okay with you borrowing $200,000 to have a degree in something that we don't even know if there's a job. That's Jennifer Cook DeRosa, author of Homeschooling for College Credit. Travel with us to North Carolina to discuss with her how you can start earning college credit in high school and work towards a debt-free college education. Grab a seat by the fire. This is the Homeschool Project Podcast. So today we have Jennifer Cook DeRosa on. How are you doing, Jennifer? Hey, I'm doing great, Nathan. Good. Well, you are the author of Homeschooling for College Credit. You were kind enough to send us your book mm-hmm. and we read it and went through it and found it. Uh, I, I, w- I was going to use the word priceless, but <laughs> I can't, I can't use, I can't actually use that word because there is an actual price. Um, there is an actual price. Yes. There's an actual price, but the, but the knowledge, the knowledge yeah. actually, actually has a price on it too. Well, the good news is, is that you can follow the strategies in the book without paying anything. And uh, homeschooling for college credit, the organization serves that serves that audience really well. So um, that there certainly is no reason for anyone to to buy the book unless they prefer kind of that you know A to Z. Everything's kind of spelled out. The majority of my community follows my blog or participates in our Facebook community. And so um, if you prefer to get your, your info in little bites, that's, that's another way to do it. So um, <laughs> yeah, hope, hopefully, you know, it's, it's available in either, in either option, either in little doses or, <laughs> or as a, as a book. So. Well, we've, we've looked at both. We've se- seen the website and we read the book and the reason we reached out to you was because we found the information so amazing. Yeah to any family, not just a homeschooling family, it is, uh, I would say an absolute must if you want your child to go to college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have you on today and we spoke to you before, uh, before this interview and you told us your, your uh, entire background. We found it um, so intriguing. We wanted to have you do that again today when we start this podcast. So could you please give us an introduction about yourself and how you get to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely kind of a, a interesting, you know, story, I suppose. I certainly didn't think that I would be a homeschooling mom. I didn't think I'd be working for a college. And I certainly didn't think I would be writing a book or um, managing a homeschool organization. So there's been a lot of things that have kind of been really impactful. But when I was a young person and I graduated from high school, I went to culinary school and I trained to become a professional chef. And I was doing that work when I got invited to participate on a project that was building a degree program in culinary arts with the community college system. And I had never worked for a college before, but I really enjoyed that project. And 
um, it lasted for quite a while. And at the end of it, they asked me if I would stay on and serve as the administrator of that program. So I kind of went into education um, unintentionally. You know, it was it was an accident that I that I found myself working in the college system, but it was incredibly valuable. And the super short version is that I spent 20 years in Eastern Iowa Community College District, many of those years as an administrator and as an advisor. Um, and I had started that before I got married and had a family and was a homeschool mom. So um, when we started homeschooling, like many parents, I left full-time work and I switched to a part-time schedule. And it just so happened that the program that I was in allowed me to do that. Like we, we had our students apprenticing in the job and they only came to campus one day a week. So if you're a homeschool mom, you know, I only had to work one day a week and I still got to, you know, be involved and, and stay current and work as an advisor. And I was in a lot of committees and things like that. And I was teaching. So I have kept in the industry, even though I was homeschooling. And so it was kind of an interesting situation. And I know that that's, you know, not always the case for many homeschool families. Right. So that, you know, and that's almost been 30 years ago now. So I'm kind of at the other end of, of all that journey. So to, you know, fast forward through some of that, we, we have raised four children. We have four sons. Our oldest three are up and out college graduates. And we still have one high school student. He's in 10th grade and he has started college classes this year. So um, it's, it's been, it's been a, a very fast journey. Um, but that's, that's kind of how, you know, the intersection of my interests happened to be. But when I was working with my students at the community college and my own son, my oldest had started to kind of approach middle school, I really had kind of a panic because even though I was working in the college system, you would think that that would give you confidence to kind of navigate that college process but I was really freaked out. I wasn't at all confident. And so even though I kind of had, you know, these resources and things, it, it just didn't feel like I knew what to do. And so I started to reach out to my homeschool community that I was a part of. Um, but I was one of the older moms in that group. So there weren't a lot of mentors available to me. Um, I tried to read, you know, homeschooling books and magazines, which were popular at the time. And there just wasn't a lot that was able to, you know, kind of inform our decisions. And I did think that there was kind of a one size fits all approach to college. And I really wasn't that excited about it because as a homeschool family, you know, your whole entire experience, it looks different than traditional schooling. And yeah. you generally have you know, already kind of accepted the idea that that school doesn't have to look a certain way. So when I started, you know, reading different resources and things like that, I found that now it wanted to kind of push us back into the box that we had worked so hard to get out of. Um, and, and so that was very frustrating. Um, and one of the one of the things that I kind of stumbled on at that time was non traditional college credit. And at the community college that I was working at, we had a lot of, of students that could have taken advantage of non-traditional college credit had I known about it. And 
I think we talked about this in our previous call that I was advising students. I had been there over 10 years and I had never even heard of non-traditional college credit. And the particular type of college credit that I learned about first was called CLEP, C-L-E-P. And that's a, it's a credit by exam approach. And it's, it's just one of many ways that people can earn college credit, but, but some people may be more familiar with advanced placement, which is used in the schools pretty commonly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the same, same company that, that authored CLEP as authored advanced placement. But the premise is that you study a subject and then you can test out of that subject by taking a standardized exam. So I had done that um, and just kind of as an experiment to see if it was something that my students at the community college could do. And um, I ended up taking a lot of these exams. um, And it wasn't until uh, I kind of thought, wait a minute, this is something that might work in our homeschool. that I started to kind of study non-traditional credit. It wasn't as, as an administrator, it wasn't as an advisor, it wasn't as a college employee, it was as a homeschool mom that I started trying to find these alternatives to, you know, to ways to earn college credit. And um, I think the thing that, and, and we'll talk about this today, but the thing that is really important for homeschool families to realize is that when your students are still being homeschooled, you have access to non-traditional college credit in ways that's usually pennies on the dollar of what you're going to pay when they graduate high school. So that was kind of our motivation. I wanted to try and save money. And I knew that non-traditional credit could be a lot less costly than regular college credit. And so my motivation started, you know, kind of from a place of budget. So that was, you know, that was the lens that, that I kind of went forward with everything. I love that. I feel like after hearing your story, I, I, I think of the quote, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. You saw a fault in the system and worked hard to find answers to a solution, which not many people do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting because when you're a homeschool parent, you have, have a different kind of outlook on education and this maybe isn't even obvious because if you surround yourself with other homeschoolers, you, you're around people that believe like you do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was because I was in the college system and around the homeschool community that I realized what a difference um, there was in the, in the way that each group looked at college and the attainment of credentials and degrees and things like that. You know, so in a homeschool community, you have typically a little bit larger families you know, maybe, maybe a few more children than normal um, or than typical, I guess we, you know, we have four. So, so, you know, we had, we had more than the the two point, whatever um, is supposed to be the average. And because homeschooling takes time, usually you have one parent that's not working full time Mm -hmm. so that they can actually be available. So you have kind of this interesting situation where you have more children to educate, less resources to do it. But what is interesting and what I think is the secret is that you have above average motivation for attaining education, high quality education in your homeschool. And I know that a lot of your audience is going to have younger students. And so I can say that, you know, in my own, in my own homeschool, it really, you know, I didn't think a lot about high school in the beginning because it was so far away, but I was a little bit afraid of it. Like I, I wasn't sure how we were going to navigate high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like I 
I was pretty good at the K through eight part of it. And I was a little worried about high school. I was a lot worried about college and whether or not we would even do that, whether or not my kids would want to do that, whether they should do it and how we would pay for it for four kids if, if they did. And so um, because there was a lot of question marks, I think, I think, you know, you can tend to maybe just shut down a little bit and not even think about it. But the, the part that has really become obvious to me over, cause I, I started homeschooling for college credit in 2012. That's when we started the Facebook community. And the thing that's become really obvious to me over these, these past years is that the difference is in that you're going into the process deliberately. Mm-hmm. And that is to say that you have a goal in mind and you have a plan um, because if you just go through high school and you send your kids to college and they show up on the door and, and you say, okay, you know, um, sign me up. How much do I owe? Mm-hmm. What will end up happening and what does happen is you have two things that happen. Um, the first is that the graduation rates are so very low and even at good schools, graduation rates can kind of fluctuate between 50 and 75%. So we, we don't have really good graduation rates in this country for four-year colleges. Two-year colleges, it's even less. So you have, you have the situation of them maybe not graduating. And then the other situation is student loan debt. And I know that um, parents who are, are close to my age or you know maybe went to school um, several years ago, don't necessarily understand the differences in the student loan situation from when um, we would have went to school. They, they now have raised the limits on borrowing so much that the, the colleges aren't really incentivized to keep prices low. They just allow the students to borrow more. And so there's no incentive for schools to keep the prices low. And because you can borrow um, your living expenses as well as your tuition, it makes it very easy for students to rack up a lot of debt. And it's not just the students borrowing, it's also the parents and even grandparents. Um, it's, it's families draining their 401k or taking out home equity loans and things like that. So you have enormous debt and that's for each of our, of our students, right? Um, and you combine that with a low graduation rate. And now you have families in these situations where the student was willing to take on the debt because they expected or they anticipated a good paying salary at the end. And if they didn't get that credential, then the salary doesn't follow, but they still have the debt. And so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of concern, right? In the homeschool community about, they don't want that for their kids. They want their kids to be able to support themselves to of course have that credential, but not be paying for it for the rest of their life. And so I think that's, that's a, you know, a motivation that, almost everyone in our community has. And that's a, a motivation that I had. I, I didn't expect my kids, you know, to go to an Ivy league college, but I wanted them to be able to be trained in an occupation, be able to get a good job, be able to pay the bills um, and to start their life as an adult without all that debt. So we're going over why this is so important. And you hit on the student loan crisis and basically the broken system. And the second part of that, I would, I wanted to talk about was people's mindset and kind of what where you, where you put uh, the importance on reimagining what's normal. So can you kind of hit on what's normal? And before you start, I wanted to take something from your book that I found really interesting. And you wrote, we live in a country that glamorizes the education at any cost ideology. 
which I found really interesting because that is the mindset of a lot of people is that get the education at any cost. And once you do that, you're going to be okay. Everything will work out after that. And as we know, that is not the case. So where do you see people's mindset with going to school and, and attaining a degree and how do we reimagine or change people's mindsets to what is normal now? I mean, I, I think education is important. You know, I have four degrees. I have a master's degree. I think education is important. I think it's important for my kids. Um, our friends think education is important for their kids. Um, but I think also that you can have a vulnerability to believing that the more important you think it is, the more willing you should be to do anything. And that's just kind of an extreme position that, that catches a lot of people, I think, um, and is, is what kind of traps them into this debt. So for instance, there's a little more than 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States that are accredited, that are legitimate, that are actual, you know, quality institutions. They've, they've been, you know, accredited and they graduate students um, and those students go on into occupations. But what sometimes happens, especially um, if you have people in your circle that have a, a strong preference for, you know, maybe a certain football team or they live in a certain area or there's certain brand recognition that comes with a certain school that they discount the the credential, and they're more, you know, chasing the experience that comes from having that certain, that certain brand of college. And I think if, if you asked any adult, I mean, I think the, the best we could do is probably to come up with a list of maybe 200 schools. Other than that, I mean, most people don't know most colleges. And, and that's the truth, you know, and I, and I do this for a living. I write about this. I read about this every day. And the truth is, is that you could name for me a very good college in your in your hometown, and I may have never heard of that. And so sometimes we we get caught up in the idea that there's prestige, and that that's very important. When in reality, you know, a degree in business can probably be equal from the majority of those schools, or a degree in English, or a degree in history, or whatever the case may be. Or if your your student wants a degree in, you know, computer science, I mean, they can get that anywhere. And so the first thing that you have to kind of change your mindset is that your student has to go to a certain school or else all is lost. I mean, that's just not true. Um, definitely, you know, there are prestigious schools. We could all name them. And then there's everybody else, you know. So when you're talking about the nuanced differences between, you know, school number 200 and school number 260, nobody, you know, nobody it knows the difference. So obviously in some occupations, there are certain schools that do a better job than others, mm -hmm. but we don't have to prepare our minds as if we're all aiming, you know, for a top school. Mm -hmm. The fact is, is that most people go to a very average school and that's that, you know, and that's fine. The biggest thing is that you get a quality education and that you graduate. And if you can do that without debt, then you're prepared to go on. And, you know, the other part of that, and I can say this as an adult, is that your education is never really done. I mean, you may be surprised, but you have to sometimes get additional credentials later, get retraining, have certain certifications or licenses or classes or things like that to enhance your education. So it's 
it's almost naive to think that we can give all of our, all of our students all of their education right when they're a young person, right out of high school, and that they're never going to need anything else. And so therefore, we throw everything kind of at that experience. But the truth is, is that they may in their 30s need to get additional credentials. They may need to get another degree. They may even change occupations. So, you know, to kind of think about it in in not just a four-year plan, but a 40-year plan, I think gives a little bit of wisdom to the process and takes away some of the emotion um, and takes away some of that vulnerability. How can people achieve graduating high school with college credit or even college without debt? And I wanted to start with some examples that I had pulled from your, your book. And one, one uh, example was uh, somebody's son took free cybersecurity courses through Texas A&M and used those for homeschooling curriculum and were, was able to get college credit with it as well. And that was completely free. Um, you can take every CLEP exam available and you still wouldn't spend as much money as you'll spend on one private university class. And then uh, another person's son took ACE courses in 11th and 12th grade and uh, um, registered at a four-year universe, four university and was given senior status. And those credits would have cost about $42,000 at the school. So all great examples, but how do people go about achieving this? Yeah. So, and those, and that's just like the tiniest little example. One of the things we do in the Facebook community is on the last day of every month, parents share their wins for the month and and parents will post, you know, that their students earn college credit. And I think that that's, those posts are one of the ways that families kind of get excited and they think about, gosh, okay, how, how can I do that? Well, so you mentioned the book. And so I will say that in chapter two, there's 30 ways to earn college credit in high school. Now, there's more than that. Those are just the 30 that I liked best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to understand that this isn't Jennifer's plan, this is just me kind of saying, hey, look, there's all these options that are out there available to you. And it's really easy for you to bring college credit into your homeschool. So let's just talk about like some of the, the big picture things. The first is that most states have reduced tuition opportunities or programs for high school students. And I live in North Carolina. So just as an example, in North Carolina, we have unlimited community college courses and tuition. It's completely free. It's zero dollars if you're in 11th and 12th grade. And you can do that in any amount. So in North Carolina, in our homeschool community, it's pretty normal for families to have kids earn associate's degrees in high school. It's, it's pretty common. And that's because the resources are there that allow students to take those dual enrollment courses. And dual enrollment is when your student takes a college course and the college awards college credit, and then you as the homeschool parent awards high school credit. So that's where the dual part of that comes in. So dual enrollment is one way for students to earn college credit. It may be free in your state. You should you should check. And you can usually look at your local community college's website and kind of poke around there and see if they have anything for high school students. But if it's not free in your state, you don't have to have um, programs in your state. You can sometimes use programs in other states. So as an example, um, the, the Christian University, Liberty University, offers dual enrollment online. And that would be an example of a program that a parent could choose to use instead of their state's program. 
um, if they wanted to have a Christian education and they can take those classes like English 101 and things like that online. And they can do that again in 11th and 12th grade. Or there's other programs like secular programs like Arizona State University. They will open up to anyone of any state, any age. And you do pay tuition for these, but it's a, it's a resource that's available. So no matter where you live, if you have access to lower priced tuition, you know, through your local community college, that's going to be a great place to start. And if you don't, you can use one of the online, you know, schools that, that offer those programs to anyone. So, so that would be one way for families to earn college credit. And it's pretty typical that families do that around 11th or 12th grade. Okay. But even if you don't want to do a class and, you know, we won't get into it in our podcast today, but giving, you know, giving your students a college class for high school, that, that can be a big deal for some families because you have another teacher involved. They're going to get a grade. Um, There's a lot of pressure there. There's usually a calendar that you have to follow. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts when they're taking a college class. So I'm not trying to make it sound like it's super easy and everyone should just go run and do it. Um, But you know, just speaking strictly of the cost, it's, it's pretty economical. Those programs are, are pretty low cost, but when you graduate high school, they're going to be full cost. Okay. So for instance, in North Carolina, like I mentioned, where we have the free enrollment, if I graduate my kids, then they pay full tuition. If I keep them in school, they have free tuition. So you can see there's no real incentive for us to hurry through high school. What we're doing is we're bringing college credit into our high school and letting them rack up lots and lots of college credit in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one way. Another way is credit by exam. And credit by exam, I mentioned CLEP earlier in advanced placement. Those are two pretty popular ones. And those are um, where the parent then maintains full autonomy of the process. So you can use whatever curriculum is your favorite curriculum. Let's say you're using Saxon math and your, your student just finished, you know, algebra one and two they're ready for a college algebra class at that point. And so you can use curriculum that's high school level if you want. It doesn't have to be a certain brand, but they're going to learn that through whatever resources you you bring into the home. Um, If you need extra resources, maybe your family brings in Khan Academy videos and they're watching those. So the learning is is really happening at your own pace, Mm -hmm. at your own budget and your own, um, your students' own abilities, right? So if, if it gets too hard and you want to change course, you can do that. But if you have a student who learns quickly, they may learn everything they need for college algebra inside one semester, and then they can take a standardized exam. So if you took a CLEP exam, for instance, for college algebra, it's a pass-fail exam. They, they would take that on a computer at a testing center. And if they passed that, they would have potential college credit. And the reason I say potential is because ultimately they will apply to a college and then the college will receive those scores and decide whether or not to award college credit for, for that exam. Mm-hmm. Now, little more than half of the colleges in the country award college credit for CLEP exams. So my advice there is to not try and modify your homeschool schedule too much mm-hmm. in the beginning, just because you don't want to try and chase the whims of one particular college, you know, um, the university of such and such maybe doesn't take college algebra exams. So should, should I have my student take that anyway? And I would say, yes, like there's no harm in having that credit and having that in their bank, so to speak. 
um, because you may move, you may change your mind. They may go to a different school or that school may revisit their policy and have a different CLEP policy by the time they're ready to apply. So credit by exam is, is a great way for homeschoolers to kind of dip in their toe in the water of earning college credit because you can do that at any age. And right now there is a program that allows you to take an unlimited amount of CLEP exams for free. And that is through a program called Modern States. Um, Modern States is an organization that uh, has developed these advanced placement and CLEP online courses. It's through an open coursework initiative. It's a nonprofit organization. They have received a lot of support and financial backing from the same um, people that developed edX. I don't know if any of your listeners are, are familiar with edX, but it's also an open coursework platform. And one of the, the bonuses of them developing these free classes is they had money set aside to give waivers for anyone who wanted to take a CLEP exam. So you would go through the free online course, literally free course, and this could be for any age, could be for a middle schooler, high schooler, or a parent, you know? Mm-hmm. And after you do the course, you pass the little quizzes as you go. And if you pass the quizzes, you get a voucher, like a coupon, and you use that to pay for your CLEP exam. So we've had parents in our homeschooling for college credit organization accumulate, you know, 30 college credits for free, literally $0 and um, using the modern states vouchers. So, I mean, there are so many opportunities out there, but the, the big thing is that you just have to know, right, that, you, yes. that they're available. Yes. And these, yes, there are lots of smart teens. I don't want to diminish anyone's, anyone's, you know, intelligence, but these are doable for average people. So almost everything that I talk about in homeschooling for college credit and in the community are, you know, kids who are average. And we're not talking about students who are acing the SAT and getting a full merit scholarship. I mean, if that's your kid, that's awesome. Like I'm not at all, you know, arguing with, with that, but we don't even talk about scholarships in homeschooling for college credit because there's opportunities for your teens to start earning college credit early and you cash flowing that process as you go. And as they get a little older, you get a little more deliberate in the courses and the credits that they earn um, so that they kind of line up with the target colleges and then transfer credit becomes plan A instead of plan B, which it sometimes is. You talking about all these options it makes me think of, I found that link that you had shared from Dave Ramsey's website titled Borrowed Future. And we did listen to part of it. But what was interesting is that you again hear from all these high school students and it, they again have that mindset, which I do too, because I'm just now learning about all this, what all these options are, but they just expect to have a student loan because that's what they feel is the only option. And that's just part of their future. And they go in not really with this bigger plan or bigger vision of their future. And they don't realize that there's all these options. And it's like, as you're telling me this, and I've gone over your website, reviewed the book, you're, it's still mind blowing how many options there are. And I just feel like there's not enough information out there to tell these families. And it's just so sad. So Anita, when, when, I was telling my story in the beginning. I didn't mention this, but I'll mention it because it fits right in with what you're saying. During my time working as an advisor and as a department chair, I never met a parent 
not one. And I probably interacted with 10,000 students over the course of time there. Never a parent, always a student. The difference here is that the homeschool parent is the administrator of the school. The homeschool parent is the one kind of driving the process. And so what you have is you have this interesting scenario where you have a parent who's got logical, you know, resourceful, you know, thinking skills, and they are the ones making some of these decisions. And they're saying, wait a minute, you know, we're not, we're not okay with you borrowing $200,000 to have a degree in something that we don't even know if there's a job. But I, I was at the college a long time, and I had never even heard of CLEP. And my students could have used CLEP exams. We were an approved testing center. In fact, even to this day, students can go into Eastern Iowa Community College District Colleges and test out of 75% of an associate's degree. And they can do that completely for free using CLEP exams. They can take that associate's degree and transfer to any of the Iowa universities that they have articulation agreements with. And there are many. So this is kind of, um, you know, it's obvious when we talk about it, but this wasn't something that was taught to me, or this wasn't something that my colleagues talked about or that we discussed. And I don't think that the colleges mean any harm by it, but they're just not busy being advocates for the student. You know, they're there to do their job and um, they're, they're not really tasked with the, the idea of going above and beyond to make sure that the parents understand all of their options. They just don't have time. Um, so, you know, when, when you think about how can I save money, how can I save time? I mean, those are our two resources that it's going to cost to get that credential. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ways to do it. Um, but it is hard to find people who will help you without having a bias. And when you go to a college, when you go to that advisor, when you go to the admissions, they have one role and that is to enroll you mm-hmm. and to keep you enrolled. Um, they are not incentivized for you to graduate. When you graduate, they stop getting enrollment dollars. So there's actually a much longer process for graduating than what parents think. It t- typically takes 150% of the allocated time for a student to graduate college. So that means if you go to a college for a four-year degree, the average student is graduating in six years. And that's if they graduate. If you go to college for a two-year degree, it's taking three or longer. So again, the, the colleges don't, don't I, I, I don't think that they're malicious. I just think that um, you know, the, the decision to want to save time and save money, um, that's, that's the parent's motivation, right? So the parents make the best guidance counselors because nobody cares besides you what happens to your kids financially after they leave the, the program, whether or not they're working, what their career is, what the, their job satisfaction is. Um, these are all things that you as the parent really care about. And so it makes sense that you would use, you know, your adult brain to help guide them through some of these processes. And I do think that what we see in our community that's a little different um, than my friends who have kids in public school is that the homeschool parent is guiding the process mm-hmm. and public school parents sometimes feel pushed to the back yeah. and um, they let the guidance counselors at the high schools or the admissions counselors at the colleges kind of decide for them what types of things their student should be doing. Um, we had, actually, I'll tell you a quick story. We had a situation with my second son. He was a diver for high school and 
was doing really well, got the attention of some of coaches and they were talking to him about scholarships and things like that. Um, but when I started doing some digging into that process, I found that of the, the colleges that had divers and got diving scholarships, he would probably be at the very best, maybe receiving $15,000 a year. And those same colleges charge fifty to $60,000 a year in tuition. So in order for us to take advantage of this scholarship offer, right, mm-hmm. he would have to go into debt, almost 40000 a year just to make that happen. So, you know, obviously we're not doing that in our house. Um, so, you know, there, that is only because we talked about it. I mean, had he come home from, from school and said, mom, I'm, I've got a scholarship, you know, that sounds great. I'm right. What parent wouldn't be over the moon <laughs> with, you know, with that and, and proud about that. And so not always, not making the decisions for our, our kids, but, you know, not letting them just completely lead with their emotions and their very, very small, limited worldview, I think is really important. You have to bring adult wisdom into the problem of college planning, and there needs to actually be deliberate choices as far as where they're going for their credential, why they're going there, and if that's even the right credential for the career that they want. I think that's where that financial literacy is very important for families to, to talk about and teach their kids about definitely something that needs to come up, at least with the homeschooling families, when we have that chance to be with them all day, there's that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's just a lifestyle, you know, Um, I I think you're just bringing that wisdom into all the discussions. And I think that um, when you don't talk to your kids about dollars, then it has to be kind of this very formal lesson type thing that happens later. Whereas when it's part of the daily conversation, then it's, it's more natural for them to understand. And I think it's important for kids to, to learn about money, not, not just, you know, to learn how to save money, but to learn how to spend money and to learn what things cost. And I know it's like outside of the scope of what we're talked about today, but you know, all my kids have been very entrepreneurial since a young age. We've really encouraged that. Um, all my kids have started their own little businesses before they were, you know, double digits. My, my third son had a thriving gumball machine business by the time he was nine. And he had that for so many years, like he bought two really expensive computers and, um, for that, you know, eventually. And I think that, um, you know, when, when kids know how to earn money and what things cost, Mm -hmm. they know how to spend money. It gives them more of a context, um, you know, I didn't say it, but my son, who was the diver, when I showed him the numbers, he was just floored. You know, he says, well, we're not doing that. (laughs) So it's not that I was, you know, coming down on him like the bad guy. I mean, I didn't have to say anything. He knew he's like, no, we can do math. We're not doing that. You know? (laughs) So, uh, I mean, and so there, there wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have to, to put down and draw a line in the sand. Um, because they understood and they, and they know, in fact, that son, um, he graduated with his bachelor's degree. He earned an associate's degree in high school and he got his bachelor's degree, graduated, he was 21 and he bought his first house this summer um, at age 22. And so, and, and he had, you know, he had saved a lot of money to do that, but that was only possible because he didn't have this loan payment. He doesn't have car payments. He doesn't have any debt. Um, and, and I do think that it's, it's really important to kind of weave 
that into the college discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also understand that, you know, for some families, perhaps the budget isn't the most important thing. Um, We have lots of families that that don't have any, um, any, you know, real issues on, you know, as far as what are they going to do for college savings? Maybe they have a good savings account. Um, They may be in a situation like my husband now, who is a professor at a university, we have free tuition for our kids because he works there. That was a deliberate career choice for him. Um, He did that nine years ago. And although we didn't need that, that's, that's there, you know, as a backup. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, I mean, there's plenty of reasons that someone may not need to worry about that too much. But the other thing is time, you know, time is very, very valuable. And when your kids are little, especially K through eight, it really does seem like um, there's time to learn everything. But then as they start to get into high school, those slots on the transcript begin to really, you know, be monopolized by the core subjects and things that you feel like, you know, we're running out of time. We have to get these, these things in there. And so using those slots to bring in college credit, it's saving them time, you know, because now they're doing one effort and they're getting double the reward. So instead of your 12th grade student taking English 101, English 101 as a freshman, they can take it in 12th grade. I mean, it's literally just about the same class. And so there's, there's no, you know, there's no lost effort. Sometimes students get bogged down. They, you know, school takes a long time. Um, Some students drop out before they finish. And so, you know, anything that we can do to kind of bring that goalpost closer really helps us make sure that they're going to pass that finish line. And that's really important. The other thing I remember um, we were talking on the phone with you last time was I'm very, I was very aware of like, you know, dual enrollment and AP courses in the school system because I used to work in the school system, but it was like the light bulb went off when you were saying how another benefit to homeschooling is the gift of time. Like we have, the kids have more time as a homeschooling student to do all these classes where it doesn't always fit into the schedules in the regular schools. Oh yeah, Nita. I mean, we have, we have, I have a good friend who's a neighbor whose son um, was homeschooled through eighth grade. And then they, they chose to use the high school for um, the public school. It was a charter school for high school. And we had talked about him earning some college credit um, while he was in high school. And the thing is, is that the parent no longer can decide if, if you have a school counselor who's fitting, you know, fitting together their schedule it literally has to fit into their schedule. Mm-hmm. And what had happened to my friend is that her son was unable to get any college credit because they just couldn't make it work. Um, it had to fit into these, you know, 50 minute time blocks or whatever it was. And of course the college doesn't operate that way. So like as a homeschool parent, um, in fact, yesterday, the community college where my 10th grader is, is taking his classes, they just release their schedule. So like I'm, I was pouring over that like a kid in a candy store. I'm, I'm looking at all the stuff that he's going to have available to him in the spring. And I'm working in there to make sure that we have um, the classes that I'm still teaching him at home, which in our case is going to be his math and his English um, and his science. And I'm working in the classes that he's going to have available. And we're trying to figure out, you know, the schedule, how that's going to fit into our life and our transportation needs and and things like that. But we have the freedom to do that, you know? And if I decide that I want him to take his class from six to nine on Mondays, Wednesday nights, that's okay. He can do that. Mm 
um, it doesn't have to, to be at a certain time. So where do you see the future of higher education within the coming years? And uh, what do you think needs to change? Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, I actually, uh, I think that because homeschooling has increased so much, and it genuinely has, um, that it's no longer um, a necessity, I think maybe is the word for parents to feel like they have to completely conform to colleges. I think colleges are kind of wising up a little bit and realizing that they have to number one, accommodate the homeschool community a little bit. And then um, the other part of that is, is like with the dual enrollment colleges are seeing an influx of students who have a lot of college credit that are coming in. One of the things parents ask about is if their student has this college credit that they've earned in high school, does that make them a transfer student? And it doesn't. If your student earns college credit while they're still being homeschooled, in other words, they haven't graduated high school yet, they're still a freshman. They could have an associate's degree and still be a freshman. So you're a freshman applicant coming in with all this college credit, um, or, you know, maybe not a lot of college credit, maybe a little, but I do think that colleges are being a lot more accommodating, um, I'm working on a project now with a university in Ohio that contacted me and asked me, how can we be more homeschool friendly? You know, so, and this is not the first university that's reached out to me. I think it's not a case of, you know, colleges kind of having this elitist attitude as much as it is. I think they just don't know. I think that they don't really know that um, the homeschool community is, is a unique segment that, that the students coming in are generally bright kids, resourceful parents, engaged parents, very motivated to begin earning college credit younger, um, completing a degree, that they are less, maybe less traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing about homeschool families, and this is something that I try to express to the university that I'm working with now, is that you don't have to tell a homeschool parent that that alternative education, you know, is, is doable because they already know that, you know, they live that every day. We already are outside of the box, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, to sell a parent that, well, you know, it's okay for them to take you as history as an online student. The parents are like, oh yeah, we've been doing that since eighth grade, you know? So it's like, um, I think colleges that are, are trying to, you know, keep enrollment moving forward and everybody's competing for enrollment. They're starting to listen more and more um, as far as the students coming in. And, and I have seen more colleges that are opening up the dual enrollment opportunities to high school students. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that um, colleges that have tuition incentive programs for students that are coming in with college credit is also helpful, especially um, if they can pay a reduced cost for that tuition in high school. I think that's great. Anything to keep the cost down. But what I would like to see colleges do is I would like to see there not be such a runaway, um, you know, crazy. It's not just tuition, but it's also fees and also housing, which are enormous, enormous costs. And, you know, we see the news every now and again, you know, this college will put in a water park or something ridiculous. Um, And so instead of using those kinds of resources for, for entertainment, you know, kind of redirecting it back to what's important, which is to get the kids not only in, but to get them graduated so that they can go out and they can, you know, they can start their life. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm actually working on a master's degree in higher ed and administration, and I did a paper on the cost of some college uh, sports programs, athletic programs, and it was mind blowing how much some of these schools would spend on typically the football program. And most people think that these programs bring in tons of money and a handful of them do the rest of them. It's a, it's a giant loss for the school. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it would, the school will end up being in, you know, paying for the the program, you know, a million dollars, $2 million for the program to operate. And that's how that's, that's at a loss. And when you say you wonder why a lot of these, the, the tuition is so expensive. It's because of some of these extravagancies that the, sco- the schools have that most people don't know about. And of course, I mean, that's to attract enrollment. I mean, I, I get that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's a lot of competition for sure. your student. And I think I, that would be something I would want to leave the parents with is to know that your student represents a lot of money to most colleges And when you look at the cost, please do not only look at the cost to attend that school for one year, because that is deceptive. Um, Number one, you have to, you have to take that number. And if you're looking at a four-year degree, you have to times four. Okay. So if it's costing $50,000 between tuition and room, which is very, very average cost. I mean, that's not, that's not very far to line. You have to multiply that by four. And say that it's going to cost you at least $200,000 up to 150%. So you could be talking about $300,000, right? Mm. That, that is a number that you need to, to think of as we have to, we have to bring that number down. Mm. Okay, how can, we, how can we work on this number? And there's a lot of strategies that parents can do to bring those costs down. So I don't want parents to think that when you look at those costs on the website, that that's what you have to pay or else your kid can't go to school. That's, that's not true. There's a lot of things you can't change, but there's a lot of things you can change. Now, keep in mind that the schools are not going to help you get out of paying tuition and room and fees. Like that's not what they want to do. Um, but one of the examples would be something that you can control. If you know that your student needs to earn 120 credits to get a bachelor's degree, how many of those credits can you earn in high school? How much of that can you earn at the community college? Because those are credits at the community college and in high school that you can cash flow. So if you're doing that as your first part of your strategy, that's going to be 60 credits. That's half the degree. Okay, so if you can get those first two years cash flowed, not only are they not borrowing, which is good, but they're also living at home, right? So now you don't have dorm fees that you have to worry about. You don't have those extra fees that they tack on for whatever. Um, And so you've now saved them considerably, right? Like you've cut that in half and you haven't even started talking about things like scholarships or other interesting and creative and resourceful ways to cover the costs, like, you know, employer reimbursement programs and things like that. But, but by kind of taking charge of those first two years at the very, very minimum, I mean, that is something that any parent can do. And if you have a student who's going into an occupation that only requires a two-year degree, then don't bother getting the four-year degree. Like, that's not the right answer. You want them to get the right degree for that occupation. If they later decide they want to get a four-year degree, they can do that. But the thing about those first two years and why it's so important to kind of focus on keeping those costs low 
is that that's also part of the proof of concept. And I know we're talking about our kids and we love our kids. Um, and this is not, a, you know, a slam on our kids, but I will just say like with my own um, sons, you know, those first few college classes were hard and they did not just fly through them. And I realized that there are plenty of kids that do, um, but that was not my experience. And we had some withdrawals in there. We had some D's and C's on different papers and quizzes and tests and things like that along the way. So we worked through those while they were still at home, you know, and me helping them learn how to navigate that college process, that system, you know, while they were in 11th or 12th grade, that's really, you know, different. So by the time they had graduated high school, I mean, they were very proficient. Mm -hmm. And so they had proof of concept. I knew that at that point when I had to pay full price tuition, they were capable and that it was going to be successful. And they really only had a little bit left to complete by the time they had got out of high school. That's such a great point. <laughs> I know this is going back a little bit, but Anita will be very upset if she doesn't get to bring this up. And you kind of <laughs> just brought it up, but you had um, an example of, or excuse me, Mike Rowe, mm -hmm. uh, the creator of Dirty Jobs. You had uh, an example of his program in your book. Yeah, you had quoted him and because um, he had a he has a national campaign for skilled labor. And um, so I went on because I was like, man, it really what he's doing is, is a perfect piggyback to this whole dilemma. And so I started to go through his site after you had brought him up on your book, just that one quote. And I was reading and he says on there are crumbling infrastructure, our widening skills gap, the disappearance of vocational education, and the stratospheric rise in college tuition. These are not problems. These are symptoms of what we value. And right now we have to reconnect the average American with the value of a skilled workforce. Only then will the next generation aspire to do the work at hand. That's, he's so smart. <laughs> I love him. He's so smart. Yeah, I mean, oh, this, yeah, well, this isn't to say everyone should go be a blue collar worker, right? No. I mean, I think most people have seen that show Dirty Jobs and they think, oh man, I don't want my kid to be a plumber. That's not disrespectful to plumbers, but that's, you know, I talk to parents often all day and, and they think, gosh, I, I want, you know, I don't want my kid to have to struggle and work hard and, and get dirty and do all those things. But like the, the thing to, you know, to realize is the, four-year degrees don't always lead to jobs. So it's not, it's not as if you're saying, I don't want them to be a plumber. I want them to be an executive. You know, those, that degree in history may not lead to a job as an executive. And, and so sometimes we assume that any four-year degree is a slam dunk and it's just not. Um, unfortunately, I know lots and lots of examples in real life of that very, very truth. And so um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good, although I have sons. And so this is going to sound probably like, I don't know, sexist. I don't mean it to, but I wanted my, my sons to have some skills. Like I wanted them to be able to do some basic auto mechanics and so on. And so there were, there were a lot of classes that we worked into their high school that are what I would call industrial arts. So, you know, they did take some automotive classes. My son now is in a welding class. And, you know, so these are, these are good skills to have. And my second son who, who uh, the one I mentioned who had just graduated, he took um, some classes in automotive and we knew we, he didn't want any, you know, he didn't want to do that as a career. Um, 
But I thought, gosh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you knew how to change your brakes on your car? And the, the true, it's true. He will tell you this. He has done that at least twice since he took that class as an 11th grader. You know, he's changed brakes on his car and his brother's car. And so, you know, what a, a great skill set to have, um, even if you don't end up doing that as, a, as an occupation. So when kids are in college credit in high school, it doesn't have to just be liberal arts. I mean, you don't have to think so narrow. They can take courses in culinary arts in nursing, in welding, in auto mechanics, in computers, in fire science. Um, there are just so many opportunities for them to explore as well as, you know, get their liberal arts courses, their general education courses. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. And just a quick note, the, the guy down the street who owns a plumbing company probably makes more than everybody else on his street. <laughs> You're right. I'm, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. You yes. know, my husband and I both came from a vocational background. You know, we both, we met in culinary school. I mentioned earlier, that's where I, I went to school right out of high school. And, um, you know, it just so happens that, you know, I, I love apprenticeship. That's kind of got a place in my heart and I love kind of that vocational attitude, but I appreciate that, you know, that that's not, that's not necessarily everyone's first choice, mm. but um, I, I do think it's important to, to consider that many, many occupations are very rewarding, very fulfilling, have good, strong career prospects, have good, strong um, growth. And not all of the jobs that maybe were, you know, around when I was a high school student are even growing now. Um, I, I had lunch with a high school friend who works in alternative energy. And she told me, you know, her degree is in philosophy, by the way bachelor's degree. She says alternative energy wasn't around when we went to high school and she's right. It wasn't. So, you know, you, there are probably going to be career prospects and new industries that are going to be developed, you know, in your children's age that we don't know about. We haven't thought about, we certainly aren't able to guide them towards a degree, you know, or a career. Those are going to be things that, that will come later. So, um, yeah, you don't, you don't have to solve all those problems at once. I, I mean, I feel like, you know, you, you want them to get an occupation. You want them to get trained. You want them to be able to get a job and and build a career for themselves if that's what they want to do. Well, we wanted to uh, end this with you giving one piece of advice you know, to homeschooling families or any family, really, that are concerned about student loan debt or obtaining a college degree or, you know, just in uh, homeschooling in general, really some advice, but I wanted to take a piece of advice from your books. I really enjoyed it. So you said, if I leave you with one impression, I hope it is to be brave when other people are trying to scare you. The truth is that most people never challenge any of the myths they believe yet they'll impress them on you as if they were the truth. That is true. Which really wraps up everything that we've been talking about and wraps up the purpose of your, your book and all your research. But is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with? <laughs> well, thank you for pulling that quote out. I love that. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the beginning that talks about my story. Um, and I think, oh, you know, I, I think that I, my personality is that, that I'm going to kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a fact checker, you know, like if someone is talking and, and I hear them say something, I'll think, oh, it doesn't seem maybe like it's true. And all through the process for myself and, and as we've homeschooled, you know, there have been myths that come up all the time. 
and assumptions and ideas that want to kind of put the brakes on a parent who's enthusiastic and excited. Um, and I tend to put on the gas, you know, and so I'm really sensitive to people who are, who come in and I call them finger waggers, you know, they want to say, yeah, but, you know, and wag the finger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that there's enough barriers out there. There's enough obstacles out there that, that you don't need to let the, the ideas hold you back, you know, to, to get in there and to try. Um, but one of the things you asked me what, what I would leave you with, and it's so hard for me just to say one thing, but I will say this one thing, if your teen graduates high school with even one college credit, they are ahead. Most people don't earn college credit until they go to college. So if you earn just one, you're ahead. And I think everybody can earn one. So give it a try, try you know, and here's the other thing too. It can be the parent. Like I totally took my first CLEP exam before I even considered it for my kids. I wanted to see how hard it was. I wanted to see if it was passable. You know, can, can someone like me pass this exam of average intelligence? You know, I'm not a brainiac. Um, I won't even tell you what I got on my high school SAT, but could I pass this exam? And I did. And so I thought, wow, this wasn't that bad, you know? And so test that notion. Um, and so parents can take, take their, their opportunities to jump in and try some of this college credit, especially the free stuff. You don't have to enroll in college. It can just, it can just be something that you accomplish. And then, you know, um, if it ends up getting used towards a degree later, then great. If it works great. If it doesn't work, then that's okay. You, I mean, you've studied something, you've learned something about yourself, you've learned something about an interesting new subject and, uh, and you can just move on to something different, but, but there is no one size fits all. And if you can earn one college credit, then you'll have a lot more understanding of whether or not it's something that you want to press forward on. Great. So other than your book, homeschooling for college credit, where can people find you and your wealth of knowledge? (laughs) Well, I started Homeschooling for College Credit Facebook page in 2012, and that is what I, where I continue to post every day. Um, I'm very loyal to my Facebook audience, and since the um, start of that, we have now got Homeschooling for College Credit Facebook groups for all 50 states, and we also have one for military families and one for the NCAA sports families. So you can join your homeschooling for college credit support group. Those are run by volunteers. We're all volunteers. And it's going to be someone who's in your community, who has an understanding of your state's laws, and is going to have some helpful insight as far as what kinds of college credit is available to you in your state, because it does differ depending on where you live. Okay. So what's available in one place may not be available in another. So that's a really good way to virtually connect with other families who are also trying to earn college credit, save money on college, save time. And so the Facebook community is going to be a really, really good tool. So I would encourage you to do that. But if you're not on Facebook, you can just go to homeschoolingforcollegecredit.com and you can follow the blog there. There's lots of resources there too. You can find anything that's in my book, you can find on the website too. So I, I, I would rather, you know, a family came in and, and you can... You can read everything that's there. You can, you can build a plan. You can connect with other people in your community and you, you never need to, to uh, 
by the book, <laughs> but that's, that's not to discourage people, but I just, I, I really, you know, I don't want parents to think that I'm here selling the book. I really want instead for them to build relationships with other people in their community, because that's how they're going to be able to really make a big difference and big changes in, in their children's college process. I've never heard an author tell people not. <laughs> I to know I'm very bad. First business. time ever. I'm very bad. If, I will tell you what you could do, though. You could request that your library carry the book. That way it doesn't cost you anything. And when you're finished with it, others can benefit. Wow. I love that. That's why we like you so much. That's why we had you on after the conversation. And thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. And uh, we, we know everybody's going to really enjoy this. Is There's there's so much in this in your book and um, so much to be taken out of it. So thank you. But wait, before oh, you say thank you, I also want to say on one last note that, again, we are a f- one of those families that are at the beginning of this journey with elementary school kids. But I can tell you right now that hearing this from you gives us hope and encouragement when we're such newbies that high school can be okay. We're going to do fine in high school and that college can be attainable even if we're homeschooling our kids, because it is scary. And you have this myth in the back of your mind that how can we prepare our kids for college? Cause this is still, I feel like a very non-traditional way of our kids earning an education. So even for those starting at the beginning, I think that this is a very, useful, helpful, encouraging conversation. And all of your resources are wonderful because now I feel like we have hope that when we get there, we can do this. And, oh yeah. And by the time you get there, Anita, I will probably have a lot more resources for you and you will be an expert. So (laughs) I have no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't, you know what? I didn't start with my kids. So yeah, this will just be encouragement to you guys. My oldest son didn't start earning college credit until 11th grade. And so, you know, I, I was still kind of learning and exploring. And so um, if you, you know, if you come to this before 11th grade, you're farther down the road than I was. And so it'll be, it'll be nothing, you know, it'll be a slam dunk. You just have, have to, you know, get in there and kind of just start reading and digging around and seeing what options are there and pick the ones that, that work for your program and in your homeschool. Thank you. Thank you so much. So yes, we thank you for coming on today and um, we are looking forward to everything that you have to offer. Awesome. Thank you guys both so much for having me. It's been awesome. Yes. yes thank you for your time. Have a, have a great rest of your day. Thanks guys. All right. Bye. bye. I want to thank everybody for joining us today and all of you that come back week after week to listen to our podcast we especially want to thank jennifer for taking the time today to speak with us about homeschooling for college credit and as always let's light a fire they can't put out